James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You may be seated. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you've done in my life, how you've been in my life. Father, your will be done. I'm praying over everyone here in this room, God, that you open up their hearts, their minds, and their spirits to receive what you have for them this evening. We thank you now, and we thank you in advance for what you're getting ready to do in the lives of each, each and every person here and also in the lives of everyone in Easton, Pennsylvania. We thank you, Father, and we praise you. Amen. Whenever we get into a book or even a movie, we start at the beginning. There are fine details in the introduction of a book and even the opening credits of a film which sets the stage for the reader or the viewer. It helps us better understand where the author, the producer, or the writer is coming from which gives us a better idea of why certain things happen within the story, and it gives clarity throughout the entire journey of the presentation itself. Depending on how great the author or the writer uh, will determine the response from the audience. Did they understand what the author was trying to say? Was the story clear and precise? Did the background and historical content help the flow of the story? So on and so on and so on. God gives us a wonderful introduction of who he is in the book of Genesis. It is his forward. It is his introduction, which helps me understand and gives me revelation and clarity when I read his word. Think about it. What book or movie has ever been complete if you started it in the middle. 
oh, the book and the movie, they're still good and you can still get into it. But, but it's even better when you know how the characters got here and why, we're, why they're here over here and why this is occurring over here. It gives you more clarity when you start at the beginning. And before time existed, God stood out on nothing and said, I'm going to make something out of nothing. This term is a Latin term, is ex nihilio, which means out of nothing. And in his glorious, infinite power, the universe was created. Land and seas were formed. Birds flew. Lions and other beasts roamed the plains. Trees stretched out their arms in praise of this mighty, wonderful, awesome, powerful God. All of creation sang songs to him that day. This was God's benediction, for he looked upon it and said, it is very good. That word benediction, bene, is Latin for good, and diction is saying, good saying. This was God's benediction. This was God's introduction to us. Genesis is God's forward, his introduction, if you will, to one of the greatest books ever written in the history of mankind. The very order of his word is presented in this way for a reason. Genesis is first for a reason. We go from Genesis and then we go through 39 books all the way to Malachi. And then there's the 400 silent years. These are years where nothing was revealed to a prophet. Nothing was said by God. And then after that, we go into the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means to see together, sin, S-Y-N, together, and then optic, to see, to see together. Then right after that, John makes it a point to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and everything that was created came through the Word. He made it a point to say, before I start my gospel, before I even get into the birth, death, resurrection, ministry, life of Jesus, I want to let you know that this man, this man, Jesus, was in the beginning before time even existed. And here we see God's power. We see his intelligence. We see his brilliance. We see his attention to detail. We see his work ethic. And most importantly, my brothers and sisters, we see his love. But because of the prosperity movement and because of new age preaching, we have been taught, well, new age preaching, this is when they just teach half the Bible, mainly the good stuff. But we have been taught that God is this big furry friend in the sky, just giving us a big hug every now and then. And I could just tell him whatever I want, when I want, I could do what I want, I could say what I want, and I could treat him how I want because he's gonna love me Anyway, what happens is when we are taught this and when we get into this mode and when we get comfortable and when we have done church for years, we've done ministry for years, we've served for years, we not intentionally, not on purpose, put God into a box. Why do we do this? This big, awesome, mighty, powerful, 
ruler of the universe is now fit into this. This represents the view that I used to have. Been in church my whole life, walk with God my whole life, know how to sit up, know how to get, you know, stand up, sit down, give, know the protocol of church, when to come in, when to go out, when to be quiet. And over years and over time and certain hurts that happened in my life, I was able, without intentionally doing it, putting God in a small little box. Why did you do that, Pastor? Why would you put a big, awesome God in a box? I'll tell you why. Because it's easy. It's easy for him to be here rather than being all around us. Why? I can put him down when I want. I can pick him up when I want. I can throw him away, set him off to the side and go about my business. I can hide him away, thinking he cannot see anything that I do in secret. Mainly, when God is now in my hands and I'm not in his hands, I now dictate the terms. I dictate when I'm going to come to church. I dictate what time I'm going to come to church. I dictate how I'm going to read my word and study. I dictate how I'm going to have worship and praise unto him. I dictate everything going on when he's right here. God is no longer the God of the universe. He is now my pet rock. My praise now becomes microwavable. My service to him now becomes like a drive-through because I was able to put him here and forget that he was a God who's everywhere. This text mentions prayer seven times. Seven times. So today we are going to learn how to communicate with the God of the universe and get out of this box mentality. Amen? Are you ready to go with me? Are you ready for the journey? Let's go on the journey. Amen? You are not the only ones and neither am I who went through this dilemma. The disciples had the same thoughts and worries. In Luke 11, verse 1, they said, Master, teach us how to pray. These are men who walk with Jesus and slept with Jesus and ate with Jesus and made tents and, you know, hung out and they laughed together and, you know, had a great time. And they still said, Master, teach us how to pray. And in Matthew 6, 15, Matthew 6, 5 through 15, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus, the teacher, teaches his disciples how to pray. If you can go there with me, go ahead. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in synagogues at, at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. 
and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then the teacher gets very specific right here. I love this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Then he really gets really, really deep when he teaches. He says, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. Then Jesus is specific and he teaches his disciples. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let's break this down. Matthew 6, verse 9 says, Our Father, let's stop right there. He's not bro, he's not cousin, he's not uncle, he's not auntie, he is our Father. That word Abba, the Aramaic word Abba, means father. Jesus addressed him as father. He wasn't some random person that I could just talk. You know, I was at a prayer meeting, and I literally heard somebody start off his prayer saying, hey, bro, can you just help me out? I looked over. I was like, what did you just say? But this is what happens when we put him here. There's no acknowledgment when kings and pharaohs were addressed and queens, they would come before them and humble themselves and say, my Lord, my liege, my, your majesty. They would honor them first before they had any request. They recognized who they were coming before. Our father. I would feel some type of way if I was cooking, I just, finished cleaning up the house. And my son walked in the kitchen and said, hey, Tony, how was your day? That doesn't even sound right. That doesn't even sound right. I'm dad. I'm his father. I'm also a friend. I, yeah, he can come talk to me. He can come tell me anything he wants. I play with him. I do everything with him. But there is a level of respect and reverence we have people in here who served in the military. There is no way you would walk into a colonel's office and say, hey, Jerry, how was the weekend? There's a salute. There's an honor. There's, there's a reverence in recognizing who you are approaching, our father. Where is he at? In heaven. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. He's above. He's in heaven. He's above any king, any pharaoh, any queen, any president, any, any, any congressman, any congresswoman. He is above all of those. Most importantly, he's above my problems. He's above my situations. Anything that I'm going through, he is above that. He surpasses that. 
hallowed be your name. Oh, not only are you my father, not only are you above everything that I'm going through, not only are you above everything down here, everything that I, that I, that I hold dearly down here, not only are you above that, but you're holy. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm coming before a holy God. Our Father in heaven, this is how you start your prayer off, is acknowledging him, acknowledging where he is, and acknowledging that he's holy. Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, God, not my kingdom, not what I'm building here on earth. Your kingdom. I'm about your business, not my business, your business. Your will be done. Let's stop right there. I feel I feel something right now. Don't 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 judge me if I get too excited. <laughs> your will be done. Boy, I want to stop right there and let's talk about what it means to be a servant. What is that? What is a servant? We call ourselves servants of the Most High God. And yet, I am halfway through this prayer, right? And I haven't said anything about me yet. It's been all about him. What do you want, Father? What do you need, God? What, what, what can you give me that I can be of service to you? What is a servant? I'm going to tell you right now. My two examples of a servant were Jeffrey the butler from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Alfred Pennyworth, Batman's butler. <laughs> now this is a story all about how my life got switched, turned up. Y'all don't know that. That's Fresh Prince. <laughs> anyway, that's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. These two were servants. They loved their masters. Anytime Jeffrey, they, first of all, they were both British, both scholars, and they were both educated, and they carried themselves in a manner that was just astute, and they were just always on, on point, and, and, and whenever Uncle Phil needed something, he would say, Master, or he would say, Sir, Aunt Viv, she, he would say, Madam, Alfred. Alfred raised Batman after his parents died. Listen, if Tim can bring up Gandalf the Grey, white and blue, I can bring up my, 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 my uh, fictional characters, amen? <laughs> he raised Batman after his parents died. Raised him from a little boy. And yet, if Bruce Wayne needed something, it was Master Bruce. A servant is up before his master is up. A servant is always wondering and thinking about what does my master need? Never really thinking about himself. What do you need, master? How can I be of service of you? How can I please you today? This book, this letter that James is writing in chapter one, literally starts off with James. James chapter one, verse one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
How many of you are going up with your request first when you pray and not really at master, what do you need today? What do you desire from me? Let's go biblical. I gave you my fictional characters. Let's go biblical. Genesis chapter 39, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph was a handsome young man. And nothing was kept from him. Potter kept nothing from him. Potiphar was like, man, dude, I love you. I love you. You can be over this, be over this. Just don't touch this. His wife. And his wife looked and she said, man, this dude is good looking. And she went after him. And, Potter, and, and, and Joseph said, he said, he said, listen, my master has not withheld anything from me except you. I will not disgrace him. And there was a translation that said he tore away from her because of the love that he had for his master. And this is what we need to do. You need to tear away from pornography because you love your master. You need to tear away from addiction because you love your master. You need to tear away from anger, tear away from, you need to tear away because you have a love. And he didn't even care how he would end up after he did it because he can go to sleep knowing I did not disrespect my master. I didn't disrespect my God. Joseph is a certain type. What we learned in school was different types or typologies of Christ's life from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Joseph is a certain type of way, the way he lived as Christ. Joseph was tempted. Jesus was tempted. Joseph was falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused. Joseph became a servant. Jesus became a servant. So on and so on and so on. Are you really a servant? Is it his will and not your will? Matthew 6 and 11, give us this day our daily bread. Whatever we need, Father, whatever I need for today, God, it's your will. Whatever you have for me that I need for this day, because he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has his own worries. This day, Father, whatever I need for this day, give me what I need for this day. And notice it says, give us. This day, our daily bread. Us is not just me. It's also interceding for my brothers and sisters. What does Tim need today, Father? What does Kyle need today, Father? What, is, what, is, what, what, what do the members of Cornerstone need for today? I'm also praying. We're, I'm praying for, we're praying for each other here. Give us this day and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We are made right with God. We are justified. This is not a prayer of daily justification. You're already justified. You've been saved by grace. This is a prayer of restoration of the fellowship that you have with the master. Father, restore me. 
keep me in line and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it goes on, for if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Trespasses refers to a restoring of relationships. Before we can learn how to confess to one another and pray for one another, we need to learn how to pray. Fast forward, James now teaches us how to pray in his letter. First of all, I love how James begins his letter. Before any instruction, before any encouragement, James makes it a point not only to be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Now, this is big coming from James, being the brother of Jesus, growing up in the same household, Spending more time with him than even the disciples themselves. Eating, playing, living. And James still, he himself still did not know who Jesus was. Living with the master and did not know who he was. He said, be hearers, be doers and not just hearers of the word. I don't want to just come to church. I want to be the church. I don't want to just read the word. I want to actually apply the word. I don't want to just serve in my church. I want to have actual relationships and develop within a community of believers. I don't want to just sing songs, but I want to praise in spirit and in truth. So who is James writing to? Well, in the beginning of the letter, he says he's, he's writing to the 12 tribes that are within the dispersion. Now, what is dispersion? These are, these are Israelites who have been dispersed over time by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Do you know that Jesus actually picked 12 disciples to represent the 12 tribes of Israel? And his readers are suffering persecution for being Christians and they're going through poverty and, and all kinds of ups and downs in the Christian life. And so he's trying to encourage them, but, but, but while he's encouraging them, he's making sure that they are not only hearers, but doers. And he's making a point not only to pray, but also he's teaching how to pray. So he goes back in time as well. And he pulls out Elijah. He uses him as an example. In James 5, 16 through 18, if you guys still have it, follow. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Pastor Tony, what is fervent? What does fervent mean? Fervent 
is having or displaying a passionate intensity. When I come before the king in prayer, when I'm praying for my brothers and sisters, and when I'm confessing to you, I am fervent. When you see me up here lifting my hands and clap, I'm not just putting on a show. I'm fervent. When you see me serve, I'm fervent. Ever passion and an intensity to serve the God of the universe versus the God I tried to put in here. Fervent. Fervent. And when James says that Elijah has a nature like ours, that means that he was still a man, but he had a powerful prayer life. How many of you have a powerful prayer life? Can you honestly say that my prayer life is powerful? Barna did a statistic. They did a study. The average Christian prays one minute a day. That's basically saying, hey, God, I love you. Peace. And that's it. That's the prayer life. You know, my wife would be upset if I talked to her one minute a day. There's no relationship. There's no connection. How could there be a connection if I talked to her one minute a day? Fervent. Father, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here in petition to you. I recognize who you are, the God of the heaven, the God of the universe, the God of the stars. The stars are bowing to you. The solar system is, is revolving around you. I am here. And this is my petition. But pastor, I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm serving and I'm attending and I still don't see my prayers being answered. I'm gonna share something with you. Be careful what you pray for. And what I mean by that is be ready to accept the answer. I picked my son up from the airport. Do you know that this child did not hug me or kiss me when he saw me? And he literally had a request. That's the first thing he said to me. He said, Dad, help me get big and bulk for football next season. Then he kissed me and then he hugged me. All right. <laughs> I don't want you to think he just did not kiss me. But he had a request. So we ended up at the gym. And I got him on the weights. And then he, I put him on one weight and he started lifting. And I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And then I added on to it. Because I remembered what he requested of me when he got off the plane. When I put that weight on, he looked at me like, man, what did you just do? And then I, as a parent, I was going to quickly come over and take the weight off. But then I backed up and I said, you asked me to do this. You asked me to get bigger. So I got to back up and take a look and watch you carry that weight. Because it's going to get you to where you need to be. We look at God crazy when he doesn't answer prayer. We look at God crazy when we think that, oh, you just are not listening to me. And what he's doing is he's getting you ready and prepared. 
for when he does answer that prayer. God, I want a house. I want this. Next thing you know, all these financial woes come. I'm like, wait a minute. I asked for a house. I didn't ask for all. Well, I have to prepare you to even take care of a house. Be prepared to get the answer when he answers. Because my thoughts are high above your thoughts. So are my ways high above you. You can never, never think like he does. When healing happens, it's always a gift from God. He is sovereign. And when we truly understand your will be done, we can continue to effectively pray in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. A prayer of faith is a prayer that recognizes God's sovereignty. He is sovereign. It's a prayer of confidence, knowing that God will do for us according to his will and his purpose. Biblically, we should pray in line with God's will and purpose for his people. Remember what I said about James. James was his brother, and he grew up with him for over 30 years, and he did not know him. He didn't know him. John chapter 7 Three through five says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse five says, for not even his brothers believed in him over 30 years living with this with, with Jesus God wrapped in flesh, and he didn't know him. How many of you have been in church for years, serving for years, worship team for years, volunteering for years, and you still don't know him? You still don't know him. It's very possible to be in this position. And this is when we talk specifically about confession. The title of this message is confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. We covered prayer, how to pray, the importance of prayer. Now we need to confess. Healing starts with accountability. I did it. I said it, it was me. We have to admit things to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ with no condemnation. To love like Jesus is to show grace, patience, understanding. You know how easy it would be in our marriages if you just said, honey, it was me? Some of us go weeks, months, not admitting, honey, it was me. We need to admit things in our careers. So busy trying to hold on to that position that you won't own up to what you've done, what you've said. We need to admit things with our own families. We have brothers that need to be saved. We have, we have sisters and uncles and cousins that need to be saved. And what we're doing is we're just holding on to things that need to be confessed, 
to be honest with them so we can have an open relationship. We need to confess to our children. Son, I'm wrong. Daughter, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I love how Jesus never condemned or put anyone down while hanging from the cross. Never. Never did he bring up past wrongs while hanging from there. He hung for our sins and he died. I want to share something with you. Since the beginning of time, man has had a problem with saying, Father, I did it. God said, what have you done? Have you eaten from the tree which I told you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the woman said, then he said to the woman, what have you done? What have you done? She said, the serpent led me and tempted me and I ate it. Since the beginning of time, we have always blamed God. We blame the people in our lives and we blame Satan. Never do we say, Father, it's me. It's been going on for years. And to truly confess to each other, we have to be honest. Father, it's me. Think about it. Why would an all-knowing God even ask the question in the first place? I already know what you did. I just want you to be honest. We do it with our kids. Sometimes I look at my son and be like, man, what, what were you doing? What were you thinking? We ask the question as soon as our kids get caught. We already know what, what they, what they because some of us actually did what they did when we were young. We already know what it is. I just want to hear from you. Why, why do I want to hear from you? Because I didn't put that in you. I didn't raise you that way. We have to be able to confess. And yet, in the midst of the disobedience and the lack of humility, God still showed grace. He sacrificed an animal. And then he said, I'm going to cover you up because you're naked now. You're in shame. Which is a foreshadowing of what he was going to do when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. We have to be able to confess to one another. And in that confession comes healing. Now I know what to pray for. But I also know how to pray to the God of the universe and not the God in this box. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your power. I thank you, Lord, for holding me in the palm of your hands. Father, your will, your will, not my will, your will be done in this place. 
I pray that the, your word resonated clearly in the minds and the hearts of everyone here. I pray, Lord, that it's been a blessing. I ask you, Lord, to give everyone in here exactly what they need, exactly what they need, God, to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep praying, and to keep serving, God. Give them exactly what they need. And Father, I also ask you to forgive us. Forgive us of our transgressions, God. Restore us, restore the relationship, restore what we had with you, God. I'm praying for that right now in the name of Jesus. Father, break every chain that's in this room. Chains of addiction, chains of pornography, chains of, of anger and strife. God, God teaches how to love just like you. I'm praying these things in your holy, precious name. And we thank you and we love you. Thank God. Amen.